श्री गुरु वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए श्री श्री गोराधा माधव की जाए गोव भक्तबिंद की जाए भगवत गीता की जाए so we're continuing our discussion from the 12th chapter i'll read the last verse of the 13th chapter mat karma kin mat paramo mat bhakta sanga varjita nirvaira sarvabhuteshu yasu ya sa mam eti pandava a person who acts for me considers me the highest object of attainment devotes himself to me abandons all attachment and frees himself from enmity Toward all living beings comes to me, O son of Pandu. So there's an emphasis, as there is in some of the verses that precede this in the conclusion of the 13th chapter, um, an emphasis on the personality of Godhead, his beautiful form, devotion to him, and so forth. And thus the questions then, and the question that comes at the onset of this chapter as to whether the path of devotion to, to Bhagavan Sri Krishna or the path of the worship of of the avyakta hmm? and uh what does he say avyakta and uh, um aksharam hmm? the unmanifest and the imperishable um, he's just talking about brahman others uh have um argued or commented that it is speaking about the atma ramanuja takes this uh tract in his thinking and bali vidyabhushan also follows that um so we haven't talked about looking at the verse in that way uh ramanuja has a whole idea of becoming self-realized and then taking to bhakti madbaktim labate param pramabhuta prasanatmana sochitena kamsti samasa vishubhuteshu madbaktim labate param do your karma properly come to gyan then bhakti and baladev has the balibhijibhusan gaudiya acharya has the idea that the first six chapters are talking about as others do about tvam about you not about tat about that or him bhagwan which begins in the middle six chapters and then those who focus on worship on understanding realizing tvam tat i'm invoking the the aphorism from the vedanta tatvam asi some translate it you are that but it may be more correctly translated um that you are his mm-hmm. um so as i say the middle six chapters are about him first six chapters are about us about the atma and so there are those as baldev understands the gita sri baladev vibhushana that um who try to become realized in the self through ishkam karma yoga gyan dhyana and, and so on and so forth all of which are detailed in those first six chapters and then from there they come to bhakti hmm? subhakti so we haven't as i say talked about that and um let's as an aside i i mention it and make him up again in tonight's discussion to some extent briefly which begins with texts 3 and 4 <clears throat> um 
Um, but for the most part, we'll carry on with the um, understanding that what's being asked in the question of Arjun is which is better? Which is, who is the highest yogi? Hmm? The yogi vittamaha, hmm? the devotee who worships your form and is united with you in uh, constantly in, in love and so forth, or one who worships the avyakt uh, and the uh, aksharam, the imperishable, the uh, unmanifest, hmm? and that referring to Brahman. Excuse me, Krishna has answered in text 2 very clearly that mai avesha manojemam nityukta upasate, those who are eternally nityukta upasate, eternally united with me, mai avesha mano, mind absorbed in me, shradhaya parayopetas, who have transcendental faith, whose faith arises from the nirguna. Teme yukta They are yukta utama. They are most completely united, perfectly united with me. So they are the best. We, in our discussion of this verse, we um, emphasize the words shraddhaya uh, prayopetas or parashraddha. Again, uh, Faith coming from the Nirguna. In the Gita we know, as I mentioned the other night, there's an upcoming chapter about three kinds of faith. Hmm? Faith in Rajaguna, Rajaguna and Sattvaguna. Arjuna asks the question, what happens to those people who um, don't have faith in the scripture, understand it, but they worship you anyway, and so on. And, so, and Krishna says, well, there's different kinds of faith, and so on. Uh, in the Bhagavatam, as you know, there is the Uddhava Gita, which very much parallels the Bhagavad Gita. Krishna is more or less, really speaking, the Gita that he spoke to Arjuna, the Chatriya, over again to the Brahman Uddhava. And so there, three types of faith are discussed, but a fourth type of faith is emphasized as well. And that, he says, is faith in me, which is Nirguna. So there's Tamasic, Sattvic, Rajic faith, and then there's faith in the Nirguna. As I said the other night, Pujapad Sridharmarsh liked to refer to that um, to the Vaikuntalokas as planets of faith. Hmm? I've given the idea that faith, of course, is what animates uh, ourselves, and that place is very animated. Everything is animated. Sri Akanta, Akanta, Parama Purusha, Kalupatarva, Druma, Bhumis, Chintamani, Gonamaito, Yamamritam, Kataganam, Natyam, Gamanam, Apivamsi, Priyasagi, all Very animated. Hmm? As Jiva Goswami said, well, if the walking, as this verse says, that I've cited from Brahma Samhita, is dancing and the talking is singing, as I've many times repeated, then what must be the dancing and what must be the singing there? And there's much of that. Kirtan hmm? hmm? uh, has its place in the Nirgun. It is Nirguna. Hmm? Devoid of material qualities, but full of transcendental life and activity and so forth. Leela is alive and moving, and the Braj Leela, of course, is the most alive and the most movement there. Bhagawan is, as I said many times, practically never resting there. Hmm? 
in Mahavishnu, he's sleeping most of the time, and in Brahman, he's unconscious, <laughs> something like that. Uh, <clears throat> so, so uh, the invoking of this uh, term, transcendental faith, underscores the fact that he's speaking about the path of, of, of bhakti here. And by contrast, we know that the jnani, who is the worshiper of Brahman, who has his, his ideal uh, uh, Brahman realization, also has a kind of faith and a methodology to attain his ideal, a sadhana to attain his sadhya. And that method is sattvic, and that faith is sattvic. Hmm? Not transcendental. So, again, it, the two are distinguished here by the use of the term transcendental faith. Hmm? So, the jnani now, uh, in verse 3 and 4, we'll find that Krishna will try to describe that which is undescribable, indescribable, Brahman, then he will describe the nature of those who pursue that ideal. And then in verse 5, he will describe the, the nature of the method that they use. And we'll see from this, um, in, in, in all respects, by description of, of the goal of the ideal, Brahman, by the description of, of the those who uh, are on the path of, of Gyan, pursuing Brahman, and by the description of the nature of the path. Hmm? That it is, he's underscoring the fact that this is an inferior path and an inferior uh, attainment, even while it is a transcendent um, attainment and... Uh, Beyond, beyond the virtuous, in other words, beyond um, sattva, hmm? um, a, a type of, of spiritual perfection, which, of course, um, the jnani is able to attain because of including within his or her practice some element of bhakti. Hmm? It's all brought out. So this makes it clear that the path that is only bhakti... Hmm? It is full of bhakti. It arguably offers something more than a path that, that by just a little bit of bhakti affords you a status in transcendence. And so, what is the nature of that status? He tries, as I say here, to explain that which in the very explanation hmm, is described as inexplainable. Hmm? So this doesn't fit well with the head, and that's part of the point here. He says, Ye Tvaksharam anirdeshtam avyakta paryupasate sarvatra gam achintyam chakutastam achalam druvam samindriyendriya gramam sarvatra samabudaya te prapnuvanti mam eva sarvabhutahitevataha kleshodi kadarastesham avyakta shakta chetasam avyakti higatir dukam so again, in these these are three verses. In three these three verses, he describes the goal, Brahman. What's the nature of Brahman? Those on the path. What's their nature? And the nature of the path. Hmm? We'll see. It's inferior. And then in the, the next verse, the 
final verse of this introductory section of the chapter uh, 12, he will speak about the path of bhakti and its virtues by comparison. So he said that bhakti is superior and he himself is a superior manifestation of divinity from that of Brahman. Hmm? Um, he said that devotees are uh, superior to the to the ganis. Hmm? He, he describes the ganis, their paths, and, uh, and and their nature. And again, it concludes this section with another with an emphasis again on his definitive answer that the path of bhakti. This is superior. And as I said earlier, in two ways, in terms of ease, hmm, and thus the um, time it will take to attain the goal, something to consider, and of course in terms of the nature of the goal as well. Hmm. So ontologically superior and superior as as a as a as a path, as a as a methodology, as a sadhana. The sadhyas is a superior ontological position, and the path itself is superior in that it's, at least in the least, it's easier. Hmm? It's more fun, he says here, actually. Hmm? It's more pleasing. Hmm? Even to, the con- to you in your conditioned life, and that's important. Hmm? So, so he says here what? Ye tvaksharam anirdeshtam. He says, however, now he said, he said that bhakti is superior, and so forth. Now he says, however, those who worship the imperishable, ye tvaksharam anirdishtam avyaktam paryupasate. He's starting to describe the nature of Brahman. He says, is anirdishtam, that aksharam is anirdishtam, is avyaktam, it's sarvatargam achintyam kutastam achalam druvam. Hmm? These are the words he uses to describe Brahman. Hmm? The first of which is, is anirdeshyam, which basically means inexplicable. <laughs> so let me explain the nature of Brahman. It is, first of all, inexplicable. Hmm? Uh, you can see how people... The neo-Advaitins and uh, get, make miles out of this. Hmm? Uh, 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 people ask the question: Tell us about the nature of the of the of, of, of transcendence of the goal. That is the problem. Asking asking about the nature. Hmm? It is inexplicable. Oh. <laughs> Uh, say nothing and get uh, more or less say nothing. No real flow of thought, and, but short statements and pauses, uh, usually, and nothing to be said. But that's the problem. You want to ask a question. That is the whole problem. You want to think about it. It's unthinkable. Stop thinking. Usually, obviously, obvious that the speaker has speaker has attained, not thinking, <laughs> but <laughs> but not in a not in a yogic sense. So mm-hmm. he says, it is it is inexplicable. It means that you can't. It's ineffable. You, think. you cannot speak about it, and implied or else, of course, that you can't hear about it. 
and and you can't taste it, and you can't see it. So this refers to all the senses. It's not very user-friendly to the senses. And we are, by nature, in terms of our conditioned life, sensual beings. By our senses, we know and we act. We have senses that inform action and senses that act. And that's us, basically, materially speaking. Hmm? Um, so this goal is not very easy to get a handle on for a sensual being, as you'll go on and explain later on. But it's, it's, it's um, implied here in the word anirdeshtam, avyaktam. Also, it's unmanifest. So, that's another way of saying it. it has no shape, no form. It is basically indeterminate. I guess that would be a scientific term or a philosophical term. Indeterminate. It has no, there's nothing to determine what it is, talk qualities and so forth. Um, um, you can see, as we, as we go along with this, you can see that the qualities of Brahman can also be applied to the qualities of the Atma. Hmm? People, as I often say, in the modern um, world, in today's world, let's say, they, uh, there are some thoughtful people uh, interested in the nature of being and, uh, and consciousness. To me, that is the you know, important subject for human society, but... Um, there's two classes of people interested in it, it appears, the transcendentalists and, uh, and atheists. Not all atheists, but, but some. Um, and they, from a scientific and philosophical point of view, have a very difficult time uh, talking about and describing consciousness. It's, I've said this many times, very elusive. But we like to think, of course, that the inability to adequately describe it, any, any effort to describe and define consciousness is invariably circular. Hmm? You can try it. You just come back in, in a circle. It's, 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 and it, and it's, it's clear from attempting to do so that it is undefinable. And as I've said before, we define things by way of comparing them to other things. There's nothing in the world that compares to it. And that doesn't make it less or something we should dismiss, but it makes it more. It's not, the implication is it's not reducible, as I've many times said, to matter. Hmm? So we should stop trying, in a sense, to uh, define it, hmm? compare it to things that, as I say, um, as I said many times, have no experience. It is an experiencing reality. So that which has no experience is completely different from it. Hmm? Matter is not an experiencing reality. It's a reality, but not an experiencing one. So when I gave a, a, a talk the other day in, at the Bhakti shop in Portland, I, the topic was the nature of transcendence. Hmm? And um, I said that I, I invoked the aphorism from the Tantra, as above, so below. So if you want to talk about transcendence, let's talk about the world 
below. If we want to talk about the world above, let's look at the world below. And what do we find in the world below hmm? we f that is worth... Um, what is, our, what is our experience in the world below? What is our most pro profound experience? Experience being the ultimate pramana, let's say, the ultimate evidence. I experienced it, therefore I know it. <laughs> Something like that. We could talk about it, think about it, but if I experienced it, I know it. Even if I can't talk about it and explain it. <laughs> so experience is the ultimate pramana in a sense. And so what is our most prominent or profound experience in this world. And of course I answered my question by way of saying that the most prominent experience or profound experience we have is that we experience. That's extraordinary. Hmm? Because everything around us doesn't. There are other experiencers like ourselves. Hmm? And then there are things that are experienced. And that's what we're preoccupied with, rather than the fact that we experience, which is, wow. <laughs> I'm preoccupied with all these things that are non-experiencing realities. And to, to the extent that, at the, or at the cost of contemplating, thinking about the significance of the fact that I'm an experiencer. And, and as such much more important than that which is experienced in that, well, as I've many times said, if matter mattered independently of experience, uh, who would know about it? Hmm? So this is very um, kind of shocking in a sense to, that yes, and that's the most, that's, that's the most significant thing that we, we are, that there's something, an experiencing reality and then there's a non-experiencing reality. And that non-experiencing reality, that experiencing reality is very difficult to get a, a grip on hmm? because it's subjective. It's experiencing. Hmm? That's part of subjectivity of consciousness. Hmm? That's part of, awareness is part of consciousness. It's one of the things. Consciousness is, is luminous. It's, it's knowledge, that means, and it has the ability to know like a light is luminous, and it casts light on other things. So a light's ability to illumine other things is like consciousness is awareness, if you will. Hmm? But it's also luminous in and of itself. So that's part of the subjective world consciousness. Hmm? So, at any rate, this is um, the attempt then to... Because you can't... It's very... We're used to defining things and we're used to measuring things and controlling things and finding names and labels for them and so forth, and we get some sense of security out of this. It's how we move in the world. You're trying to like, you know, what's this, what's that? Let me get, get everything in, in control uh, because, after all, it looks like the environment is not friendly, and at some point we might not exist, and so when I got a grip on things, and so forth. And so we want to get maybe a grip, if we're thoughtful, on consciousness. And the attempt to do that then, what seems logical from a materialistic point of view, is to try to explain it as we explain everything else. It must be matter. And so the attempt 
goes on and, and it's fruitless thus far and will continue to be. And really, uh, the Gita and other similar texts, are, these are very profound, there's a very profound section here, what it's saying about uh, consciousness. And as I said, about Brahman, what it's saying, it also applies uh, to the self. Hmm. Um, it's, it's, while it's using terms that it's inexplicable, you know, well, what does that mean? It means a lot, actually. Hmm. It does mean a lot. It, do, it means it's not reducible to matter. That's like, wow, that means I'm supernatural if, if I'm speaking of consciousness as myself being a unit of that, which, of course, I am, hmm? with likeness to Brahman. Hmm? It means there's life beyond, beyond the psychic and the physical reality, beyond the biological death, there's life. That's huge. Isn't that the question? I mean, in one sense, in the struggle for existence, hmm? that there's no struggle, this is what the Gita is saying, uh, uh, ultimately. And this is why you are imperishable. Hmm? You're indescribable means you're not from the objective world. Hmm? That's, that's incredible news. So although these v words are vague, and, 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 and necessarily so, they're not lacking in profundity, meaning, significance. Um, this is headline... Uh, news, really. Hmm? Unfortunately, we're very preoccupied with headline news about things which we have given the meaning to and the value to and, and debate the value of because we look at it differently from different angles subjectively and so forth. And this is all, as I say, often at the loss of the potential even for understanding the self, realizing, experiencing what it means to be an experiencer. Hmm? which is what we would say human life is really for, hmm? which makes it different from the other forms of life that are preoccupied with sense objects and, uh, and, uh, and so forth, um, and without, for the most part, positing much, much meaning on them because of lacking in other species, that is, self-consciousness. So uh, he says, there are others, however, who worship, and this is an important word here, paryapasati, as I said the other day, they're also worshiping, it means... There's some, he's talking about jnanis who have some bhakti factored into their um, approach to Brahman. There are four kinds of jnanis uh, mentioned by Vishwanath Chakrabhi Thakur in the, later on, the 18th chapter of the Gita. Brahma Bhuta Prasanatma, these verses, Bhakti Mama Bijanati Avanyas Chasmitatvataha, the verse that follows, and so forth. Four kinds of uh, his commentary on these verses, he mentions four kinds of jnanis. There are two kinds who never attain their ideal. There are two kinds that attain it, one which attains it, and one which attains it, and more. Hmm? So the two kinds that don't attain it are don't attain it are those who don't engage in bhakti, hmm? only in jnan. Well, their method is sattvic, and they stay best in sattvaguna. Hmm? And they don't have regard for bhakti. So, they, they fall down, as the Bhagavatam says, from their jivan mukta status, if they get that far. Hmm? Which is a long way to go. It's the penultimate state before mukti. And imagine, you get to the one-yard line and you've got to go back to, you know, to zero. Hmm? Uh, not a good idea. <laughs> Uh, and much, as we'll see, as we'll hear, with much effort, hmm, a very difficult path. 
Then the second kind of jnani is, is the jnani who does engage in bhakti hmm, with the idea of attaining Brahman and with the idea that Bhagwan, who is, as we know from our Chintibeta-beta metaphysic, one with bhakti. Hmm, he's one with bhakti and different. Love of God and God, they go together. You can't have one without the other. They engage in bhakti, but they do not think that Bhagawan is transcendental, is ultimately real, or that bhakti is transcendental. So this kind of understanding about bhakti is considered to be um, offensive to, 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 to bhakti. And so because of that, they cannot attain their goal of Brahman. They also go at best to the penultimate state and return. Then two types of bhaktas that attain their goal, or jnanis, I should say, one who factors bhakti and who engages in bhakti, and that bhakti is within the path of jnana and vairagya that he or she is following, and that kernel of bhakti, if you will, stays with him, and the jnana, which is sattvic, is retired. Hmm? You were asking the other night about transcendental knowledge. Transcendental knowledge is bhakti. Hmm? That's what Krishna says in the Gita. Where does he say that? He says, Rajavidya. What is Rajavidya? King of knowledge. And what is the king of knowledge? Let's see. Ultimately, it's experienced as uh, joyful. No, what, what does Krishna say in the, in the same chapter? Who knows? What is the king of... How does he... What, so, he's going to describe the king of knowledge. What is it? It's the first verse of the ninth chapter. He says, Manmanabhavamadbhakto Madhyaji Mamnamaskuru This is the king of knowledge. Become my devotee. Devotion, bhakti, is knowledge. That is transcendental knowledge. Bhakti is, as I've said before, loving... In loving, there's a kind of knowing that is essential. Love is pregnant with a no, with, with a kind of knowing. So, I've also described that all action is informed by some kind of knowing. So that bhakti, which is full of bliss, anandam, is informed by a kind of knowledge. We call that sambandhagyan, knowledge of the form of Bhagwan, his qualities, and so forth, the difference between Bhagwan and and the jiva. This kind of knowledge is permanent, is transcendental. So, um, so they attain sayuja. This is their goal. Hmm? Bhakti carries them into sayuja. This is one type of jnani who attains his goal. The other type of jnani, and this is the, th- the last one, who is successful, this is the type of jnani that's showcased in the Bhagavatam. Hmm? That kind of jnani is like Sukadeva Goswami like the Chatusan Kumars, like the Navayogendras, later in the 11th chapter, Canto of the Bhagavatam. They attained Prem. Hmm? So they were jnanis. They uh, were graced by bhakti, engaged in bhakti, and understood the superiority of bhakti to jnana, and therefore the superiority of the goal of bhakti, the, the, of course, the sadhya that corresponds with the sadhana of bhakti, and they become attracted. Sutta Goswami describes it. How does he describe that? Hmm? 
He says, Atmaramas Jamunayo. May a grant api rukrame. Kurvante hoitakim bakim itambuta gunavari. It is just the nature of Krishna's qualities that they are attractive even to the Atmaramas, those who are Jivan Muktas, who are taking pleasure in the self. This is an important point here. Sukadev Goswami is described as Swasukha. Swasukha means that he was absorbed in his own sukha, in the, in the sukha, of, of not, not sukha like Peri, but sukha of the self, swa, swasukha, self-happiness. The happiness of the self, of the atma, the swarup of the atma, independent of bhakti, has some happiness to it. It is an object of love. That means it has happiness. You understand? It is an object of ananda. It has ananda because it is the object of love in this world. Hmm? I've several times described this and it's brought out in the Brahma Vimohan Leela. Hmm? Um, but um, the idea in, in brief being that we love a thing because why? Why do we love a thing? Because we're in the thing. It's ours. We think it's my house and so somehow that self, hmm? it's also described here as sarvagam. Hmm? You can't see it, but it's everywhere. Hmm? Sarvatragam, achintyam. Hmm? Uh, it's, um, uh, so it has, as is Brahman, but if we speak about it as the jiva, as the atma, it pervades the body. Hmm? by awareness hmm? and uh, a, a luminosity. Hmm? A luminosity? Luminicity? Uh, luminosity. It illumines. Hmm? Uh, it pervades the, the body, consciousness. Hmm? Somehow. It's in one place, but it pervades. At the same. It's still achalam, kutastam, druvam. It's fixed. It's changeless. Hmm? Um, uh, and so forth. So this is all describing Brahman. It also describes the self. But my point here is that the self is an object of love in this world because of the self's entering into things as it can, projecting itself as it does throughout the body. It can project itself into another body, my son. Hmm? And I love my son because it's my son. And that my means I'm in that son, in that daughter, in that car, in that house, in that country. And so the point being that the self is an object of love. Hmm? It has samananda. But this swasukha, the happiness of the self, is indeterminate happiness, indeterminate bliss. Hmm? Because the self, like Brahman, is indeterminate. Hmm? What I mean by that is, well, I don't know how to say it, but it, 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 you get the idea. It's, it, it's, it's one thing to have indeterminate object, consciousness object, to repose yourself in. Another thing, to repose it in a determinate one. So, you know, as I was saying, it's specificity. So with Bhagwan, hmm, we have all these qualities, but now they've condensed into a shape. And so there's this relationship. We can invest ourselves in Bhagwan, hmm? and um, 
and the bliss now doesn't is not indeterminate. So it, it, it's exceedingly uh, greater. Hmm? Um, to give the idea, if we want to speak of happiness as love, as we should, so to love in an indeterminate way, well, how they do that is is, is mentioned here. Now he's going to talk about the nature of, of, of these. Um, he, he described the nature of Brahman. Now he's going to describe the net nature of the Gyanis. Hmm? Well, among other things, they control the senses. Saniyamendriya gramam sarvatra samabudaya sarvabhuta hite rataha. I'll talk about the other two, but first, they, they, uh, he, they, they think of the welfare of others. They feel for the welfare of others. Hmm? It means why? Because they've identified the jnani with the self, and that self is the is what underlies all movement in the world and all beings. So they've identified with all beings as if themselves, and so they they feel for the welfare of others. Therefore, you oftentimes find jnanis engaged in welfare and philanthropic work. Opening hospitals, feeding people, and so forth and so on. Hmm? These aren't characteristically the activities of the of the bhaktas. They do prasadam distribution and they care about the welfare of people, but they're very much preoccupied with Bhagawan in their love. So now we're moving to the ontological superiority of the goal, the sadhya of the bhaktas as Bhagawan over that of the jnanis, which is which is Brahman. Because from meditating on the self and getting the bliss of the self. Swasuka, hmm? or the bliss of Brahman, which is similar, hmm? to deriving the bliss or love through reciprocal dealings. It's one thing to love and have nobody to love, so to speak. <laughs> self-love, we could talk about it like that, indeterminate self-love, and then there's loving of another. As soon as there's another in the picture, the capacity for loving just it, it multiplied exponentially. Hmm? We can talk about love alone, but it's almost like, what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, no so indeterminate bliss, swasukha, he was absorbed in this. And then the extension of that, the bliss of Brahman, but he came in touch with Bhagwan, hmm? And the p- capacity for ananda, which is what he was steeped in, I like to call it, you know, loving to be, loving to exist, he got to wake up from hearing the Bhagavatam verses, the idea of existing to love. Hmm? And the, the, what is the nature of bliss when there's another? This is, this is when Brahman becomes rasa. Rasa Saha. He, Brahman, is rasa. This is a very special idea. So Sugati's head was turned upside down. This is the kind of jnani. So, and it's Nabi Yogendras then, the, 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 the Chatusan Kumaras. Hmm? These are the jnanis that are highlighted in the Bhagavatam. The higher end of jnanis who come by good association, Bhagwat, by the Bhagwat, they come to pray. Hmm? They come to Shantaras, Dasiras, Sakiras, Vatsali, Madhuviras, all these things. Hmm? This is far, far beyond Sayuja, a limited idea of the other kind of jnani who's successful in attaining Brahman, who's really the focus here in the Gita. Hmm? The focus here is not like it is in the Bhagavatam on Sukadeva and, and such jnanis. He's making a, a, 
contrast, the question is between those who want to attain Brahman hmm, and those who want to attain Bhagwan. Hmm, those who want to end up in Sayuja Mukti. This is not spoken of very highly <laughs> in uh, in Gaudiya circles, but it is uh, a, a transcendental uh, attainment. There's no rasa there, hmm? but they want it, and they 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 engage in bhakti for that purpose, and she gives it to them. She has that power. Hmm? So this is Brahman, and then as I say, we're starting to he's starting to describe the nature of the, those who pursue the path. He said. They have welfare. They feel about the welfare of others. Hmm? And again, the reason is because they've identified others as themselves, which is good. Bhaktas do that also, but they do more than that. Their love is not limited to compassion and the welfare of others. I know that sounds like a big thing, but it's the low end on the ladder of transcendental love. Compassion for others in, in this world is, 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 is far from madurasa. It is so far that in Madhurasa, Krishna forgets about them. They're not, they're not up in Goloka, gopis, thinking about you know the suffering people of the of the world. Sometimes it's said in Baikuntha that happens, and there are people that go from Baikuntha. That's another thing. There are the Vishnu Dutas and so forth, but the Golok people that 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 that. There, when when Krishna comes, they come. There may be some special instance he sends from there, but but that is far from from being in touch with and close to the suffering of the world, and therefore it's difficult to be empathetic for it, because as I've said before, and it's common knowledge, the more you experience a thing. Greater your capacity to be to empathize with someone who's experiencing it as well. If you have the same kind of suffering as someone else who's had it, it's easy to empathize with them. Otherwise, you've got to become a psychologist and lay them on the chair, and then you you got to lay on the chair too, and you got to try to what's that term called? Transference. Transference. And you got to lay on the couch somehow psychically and. I feel it. I feel how you feel, and, and, and so it's difficult. This, this anyway, is the measure. This is in a crude sense. I'm speaking about it. In a higher sense, the Gyanī has real compassion for the soul in this world and so forth. But he does not. She does not have the capacity, the opportunity, by way of the path, the sadhana, to attain a sadhya, a goal, hmm, that affords much more in the way of love than. Compassion and loving to be, hmm? no capacity for 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 even shantaras, dasiras, sakya, And the higher we go on that, the farther we go from the suffering of this world. The harder it is to relate. Mahavishnu, he's a real compassionate manifestation of Krishna. Hmm? He oversees the world. He is but a part of a part of Krishna. You had a comment. On one hand, yes. They're so separated, but on the other hand, as, as you've explained, when when the jacket is turned inside out, they exhibit the greatest compassion in that leela. Yes, when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes, but of course Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes at the time of the Yugabhatar, who's got compassion, and so he shows compassion in terms of 
the function of the Yuga avatar, but how can he show compassion other than by giving praying? Because that's also what he's all about. So he has to do the function of the Yuga avatar, but he only has praying, and that's what he's preoccupied with. So it's difficult. So he, he kind of makes a mess of being the Yuga avatar <laughs> by way of giving praying to everybody <laughs> instead of instead of Mukti in Vaikuntha, which is where the Yuga avatar sensibility you know comes from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as said, in Vaikuntha, sometimes Narayan wants to taste compassion. He wants to give sal- salokya, sarasti, sarupya, samipya. Hmm? And so he manifests as the Mahavishnu for, for that purpose. Hmm? Sometimes it said Krishna wants to give praying, but he, he does it in the context of wanting to taste it himself and his Naralila and, and so on. So, at any rate... The Gyanis sadhana hmm, uh, is, is, is inferior to that of the bhakta. They cannot give him prem, rasa. Hmm? There's no rasa with Brahman. Here he's described, sarvabhuda hite hite rata. He's, he's uh, concerned about works for the welfare of all human beings. He uh, has control of Indra Graman. Gram means village, the whole village, the whole house. Hmm? The body's like a village. There's all different people talking, the eyes, the ears. They all want attention and so forth. They're all making their case. The politicians are all making their case for the attention, lobbying hmm? for the attention um, uh, eh, of the mind so they can have the experience and so on and so forth. So uh, they're described like a village. He's got, he's got them all wrapped up. He's got them all controlled. He's because he's like there is cabinet members and he's got them under control, hmm? um, and uh, and he's even-minded about things and uh, so forth. He's this real balanced guy or gal. Hmm? <laughs> uh, he's not on tilt like somebody in in love, like the devotees falling and swooning and so on and so forth. So in this way, in these two verses. Krishna has described, as I said, he would, the nature of Brahman, which parallels with the nature of the self, indeterminate consciousness, and he's described those who pursue the path of Gyan, what are some of their characteristics. Next he will describe the path itself, and we'll save that for another evening. Are there any questions? Yes. I have trouble understanding the idea of the two first types of jnanis falling from human mukta, how that would seem to be something beyond sattva in itself. Well, the jivan mukta state is a state in which the karma, the parabdha karma, has not yet finished. Hmm? And there are many. There are some statements in the Shastra that liberated persons, by offending Vishnu or Bhakti, in this case, can fall down. This speaks about these types of people. They're 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 like they're like Jivan Muktas, means liberated in this life, but they are not fully liberated. They have not attained the goal. In a, a parallel idea, in in the Bhakti tradition, is Swarup Siddhi. Hmm? He's attained, she's attained within bhava, 
Surup Siddhi, the realization of the self, but they have not entered into the Leela, in, in, in Krishna Leela. Of course, in our tradition, the, the devotee takes, supposed to take birth in Krishna Leela, and still there's further development and so forth. So he's not, a, he's not, he's not cooked yet. He's not well done. He, you know, he, he's, he's still um, requires a little more time in the, in the, in the, in the, in the oven. And there's and, no bhakti there either, right? Where? In the first two groups, but yeah, but I'm saying within within bhakti, the, the stage of surup siddhi is comparable in a sense to the penultimate. It's the penultimate state, and so the penultimate state in jnani is is the jivan mukta. Rupa Goswami does invoke the term jivan mukta in bhakti rasamrita sindhu. What is that verse? He says, "One whose body, mind, and words jivan mukta uchite are fully engaged is already a liberated soul." Hmm. But generally, the term um, that is comparable to Jivan Mukta and the Gyani in the Bhakti terminology is Surup Siddhi, and it's way beyond being a Jivan Mukta who has no Baba at all. But my point is, the Sri Dhamar said, even the, free, even the um, Surup Siddha Bhakti can fall down. It's possible. Hmm? It's possible hmm? by some offense. You're in proximity of the possibility of making some offense. Certainly the Gyani can. So bhakti doesn't doesn't allow him in. He doesn't have he doesn't he or she does not have a method that's that's transcendental. How can he get a transcendental result? So Prabhupada used to say, and I think other authors have said as well that they you know they take birth as a philanthropist or or something like that. And who knows where from there um, is the idea. But if you understand the point that without bhakti you can't enter there, or by deprecating bhakti with words that seem to glorify bhakti this is the mayavad idea hmm? therefore mahaprabhu said there is a man in banaras and he says i have no eyes i'm deaf i'm dumb i'm blind hmm? i'm lame <clears throat> i will destroy him hmm? He's talking about Prakashananda Saraswati, the, the, the Mayavadi, who says God has no form. So if he has no form, means he's blind, he's deaf, he, he's dumb. Uh, what kind of glorification is this? Call it bhakti. You know, he's saying that the form of the God is not eternal. So this is his way of saying this point, that it's full of language of bhakti. Uh, Sridhar Maharaj once said, uh, half-truth is better than no truth at all. No worse than half truth is worse than no truth at all. Hmm? Better to be a Buddhist and outright deny the existence of God than to be a, a, a Maya body and say, "Yes, there is God, kind of. Hmm? There is a sattvic Ishwar, provisional Brahman, Saguna Brahman, and and there's Saguna Nam and Bhakti. I guess we can do these things, and when we're done with them, we, we can throw them out. Hmm? So this is offensive to Bhakti. So Bhakti won't." He says it's difficult to understand how they could fall down. They could stay there forever, maybe, but they can't go into into attain attain Brahman. <laughs> hmm. I have a question. Um, so, what kind of bhakti can a jnani have? I mean, in, in other words, they're worshiping. I mean, how are they worshiping Krishna? For what reason to get more jnani? I mean, it seems they worship Krishna and they want to attain Brahman. They 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 they. they 
they chant Hare Krishna sometimes, and they want to attain Brahman. And they think that by... Do they actually think Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead, or is is Krishna just a... I mean, what is their understanding? Their understanding is indeterminate. (laughs) Um, They probably think that Krishna and Brahman are one, different ways of speaking about the truth, and... um, but somehow they, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't teach this idea that Bhagwan's form is not eternal. And I mean, I never met him, one of them, so I can't say. But they're they do. They think that you know, the form is subject. They think that you know you. Well, well my bodies too, but not not all of them oh, do. Is the Brahman bodies then? Yeah, the the the, the, the jnanis who attain Brahman, who aren't offensive to bhakti and who employ bhakti, it's just like, okay, you know, look at it like this. Some, you, you, you are talking about Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's very attractive, right? But some people are attracted, they want to they go to Baikuntha. They want to worship Narayan. Hmm? Some people want to attain Brahman. So they do bhakti. But to do, to attain Brahman, you have to worship a personality you can do Nam, yeah. You can chant the name. You can say the name is this name is transcendental and it and it plays out into undifferentiated Brahman. It seems that if, that, if, that as soon as you start invoking the name of God, the personality of Godhead who's more than Brahman, how I mean they're, 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 how can the conception Because they have a very strong sangskar because they have a very strong, some strong sangskar for a long time, for for pursuing Brahman, with that understanding. You could make the same argument. How could one want to go to Baikuntha? Some people do. So it's one, it's one type of liberation. We serve the whole feast, and not everybody eats everything on their plate. Some people order more sayuja. Some people order more, more prem. I'll have a little more of that, they say. Something like that. But, appreciate your point in a sense, that's why, as I mentioned earlier, in the Bhagavatam, the jnanis that are highlighted are those that move on to Prem, having engaged in bhakti. And, and, And those who use bhakti to attain mukti, or Brahman unto itself, we think that they more or less... Uh, wasted their time. They asked the king for for, for ashes. Huh? So it is a little mind-boggling how they could want that. But you know, people do crazy things. <laughs> people want all kind of things. So, despite knowledge being available of you know of uh, what might might be attainable, it might be more is that more desirable. Is it, is it some? Envy or some sort of is that is that you know? No, otherwise they can't attain. No. Then they fall in the first two classes. Yeah. Right. Now, it would perhaps be more appealing or make more sense if they attained Shantarasa. Right. Yeah. But some of them seem to. Of course, you know, the Godis also say the demons go there to Sayuja. So, you know, it gets, there's not much bhakti. You know, they, they have to have some bhakti. So, another way to think about it is some bhakti. They're not against bhakti, 
they don't differentiate, but they want they want Brahman. They not they don't make any offense. They don't deprecate bhakti. Um, maybe that's enough to get them there. Something like that. Hmm? Shantarasa, that's huge in comparison to Sayuja. Hmm? But in bhakti, sometimes those that are inimical obtain bhakti. Those who, who, who are inimical to bhakti obtain bhakti. In due course, yeah, they may. But if they attain Brahman, then it's tough to get out. Yes, Krishna is very merciful. That's true. Yes. The question is about the Swasukan that you were talking about. Yeah. It's not being the object of love. Investing myself into things that's why we love certain things. Yeah. I was just wondering whether um, the self being the object of love may have also something to do with the fact that the self is part of the Supreme Soul. Well, that's the, that's the balance of the argument. That's the balance of the argument. That's the balance of the argument in the Brahma Vimohan Leela. Hmm? But it all comes up when when um, when Balaram sees that the cows are more attracted to their calves and the fathers are more attracted to their um, their, um, their 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 children than would be expected. Why? Because in the two arguments, whether the self is, the, is, the, is an object of love, and the reason that the ob- self is an object of love is because the self is part and parcel of Krishna, hmm? who is the supreme object of love. So, from, from self-happiness to prem, hmm, you make that connection as you're making. The reason the self, because, because Bhagwan is, is, is the perfect object of love. All right, so... Stop there. Simad Bhagavad Gita ki jai. Sri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai. Go Radha Madhav ki jai. Go Bhakti Vrindhi ki jai. Go Dream Anam.